You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. I am excited to preach today. Um, I never, uh, just as a personal rule of thumb, I never try to hype my sermons beforehand, telling people, hey, make sure you're here this Sunday. Uh, You know, you don't want to miss this sermon. I I just never do that. That's my personal thing. Um, But now that we're all here, and uh, this is the moment, I'm just going to tell you, I've been looking forward to this sermon for a while, for a long time. I've been waiting for July 30th to get here. Because as I was preparing my preaching calendar, you know, we're, we're entering back into that rhythm of preaching based on the gospel reading of the week that comes out of the Revised Common Lectionary. And um, I saw beforehand what the passage of the week was. And it, it includes one of my favorite parables. And I was like, man, I've got some stuff to say. So I'm excited. I've been marinating in this passage for a long time. And uh, even if none of you get anything out of it, it's just going to be like, very cathartic for me to preach this sermon. Um, but our gospel little read, reading of the week, it's, it's taken from uh, Matthew 13, and it includes a number of parables, like five different parables. What I've done is I've just picked one of them, and we're going to zoom, zoom in on it uh, today. Uh, the title of the sermon is The Lucky Trespasser. The Lucky Trespasser. That's what we're going to focus on. So Matthew chapter 13 Verse 44, this is a parable, but it's only two sentences. So let's read it together. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody hid in a field, which someone else found and covered up. Full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought that field. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read that again. This time I want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody hid in a field which someone else found and covered up. Full of joy, the founder sold everything and bought that field. All right, you can open your eyes again. Jesus was a storyteller. That's how he taught. That was his main mode of teaching. He taught by telling stories. We often call them parables. And these stories would just kind of draw people in. You know, he, um, it was a brilliant way of teaching because he, he wasn't just giving the answer or the response point blank. He was almost, it's almost like he was inviting people to participate in the revelation they were about to receive. He's asking them, use your imagination. Fill in the gaps. Consider the details. And then reflect and meditate on what I'm trying to tell you. Let this parable go to work on you. And so they would. They would chew on it and chew on it and chew on it. You know, people would come to him with, I'm sure it had to be frustrating for people from time to time. They would come to Jesus with questions, They had a big theological question that was bugging them or a political question that was bugging Jesus. They they would ask Jesus, what do you think about this? And Jesus would say, there once was a man. And he would go into a story. 
But this is how he taught. Now, this was not unique to Jesus, teaching through stories. This was actually a very common rabbinical way of teaching. The rabbis were always telling stories. They were all expert storytellers. And this might actually really surprise you. But a lot of Jesus' parables and stories were not even original to him. These were stories that had been floating around for centuries in different forms. And that's how the rabbis would, would kind of um, teach is they would take these parables that people were floating around and, and they would kind of tweak them and make them their own and emphasize whatever they felt was important to emphasize. And so many of Jesus' stories were versions of similar stories that had been told in Jewish culture for a long time, but he would take them and, and kind of reshape them, reform them, and represent them to emphasize something different. And here's what was unique to Jesus. It wasn't that he was a storyteller, but what was unique to Jesus is that all of his stories were about the same thing, the same topic, all of his teaching. He always taught about one thing, what Matthew calls the kingdom of heaven, or what Mark and Luke refer to as the kingdom of God. But it's the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same topic, same subject. Now here's where we have to begin, is we've got to begin with the question, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? Because if we don't get clear on that, then we're not going to understand this parable, and this sermon won't make any sense. What is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? What is this? When he talks about kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, you need to know Jesus is not talking about heaven as a distant place in our space-time universe where you go to when you die and Jesus tells the parables to teach you, here's how you enter into heaven. Here's how, here's how you can uh, be made right so you can go to heaven when you die. That's not what he's talking about. That's not his topic. For Jesus, when you pay attention to his teaching in the Gospels, the kingdom of God is not just simply this future reality or future place, however we want to conceive it. The kingdom of heaven was also a present reality that's even now breaking into the earth upon his arrival. You know, he would talk about it like this. Remember when he launched his kingdom at the very beginning of, beginning of uh, Mark, Mark chapter 1, he launches it with this announcement, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right now. It's present. It's breaking into this moment through me, is what he's saying. He told people that, uh, you know, you're, you're out searching for signs about when's the kingdom going to come? When's the kingdom going to come? Jesus says, it's right in front of you. It's right in your midst. It's among you. He taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray right now, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, what, the big problem of humanity is that heaven and earth have been split apart. They've been torn asunder. And God sees the brokenness of our world. And when I say that, I mean us as people and also creation itself, the entire cosmos. It's been broken by a lot of things, but predominantly human sin. So we live in a world that's profoundly broken beyond human repair. It's been damaged heavily. But God's got a vision for making it right. God's not going to kick this world into the garbage can. God's going to set things right. He's going to bring healing, wholeness, salvation, shalom upon the earth again through his son, Jesus Christ, the crucified, risen, ascended king of kings, ruling and reigning right now. But that's what Jesus is doing. And what I want you to know at Village Church, you've heard me say this over and over like a broken record. 
But the emphasis of the New Testament is not so much how can I get to heaven when I die. It's not so much about how to get to the right place in the afterlife. The, the emphasis of the New Testament is how can we participate and engage with what God is doing on earth right now? Because if we can participate and engage and enter into the kingdom now, that's the kind of life that will find continuation beyond the grave. So if we want to be part of it beyond the grave, let's begin living in what God's doing now. That's the emphasis. And I'm going to tell you, man, once you begin to see and perceive and understand the work of God, the mission of God, and, and how beautiful God's vision is for the cosmos and for society and for you and me, you will give up every other pursuit in your life to be a part of it. And that's what this parable is about. So I'm going to read it with you one more time. But before I do, I want to show you a screenshot on the screen from a news article that I saw two weeks ago. It was in the Independent, a British uh, publication. Look at the title. Man discovers hundreds of gold coins buried in his cornfield that could be worth millions. The subtitle says, The coins in the Kentucky cachet are dated between 1840 and 1863. I read this two weeks ago and I was like, man, I'm preaching on that in two weeks. I got to show this to them. That's amazing. So I want us to read this parable one more time. And then after we read it, I'll tell you what we're going to do today. Let's read it one more time. Get it fresh in our minds. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody hid in a field, which someone else found and covered up. Full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought that field. One of the things I love about how the Bible is written is that when it comes to these stories, whether it's a parable or whether it's a narrative in the Gospels or wherever, there are a lot of gaps where we're not, giving, we're not given details. And I think this is done intentionally. It's done purposefully because it invites us into the story to populate the story with our own imagination so that it becomes our own and we participate in the story. And so I'm gonna demonstrate this for you today. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna tell this parable again in my own words and I'm gonna put it in a modern setting and I'm actually gonna borrow a little bit from that article that I read two weeks ago. So we're going to enter into the story together. I'm going to tell you the story about a guy named Bob. Bob was uh, a man who, who just lived by himself. He wasn't lonely. He was just the kind of guy who preferred to be by himself. Bob was the kind of guy who always had more dogs than he had friends. And he was okay with that. He never got married. He just lived by himself. It was an entire adult life. And he was content. Uh, Bob owned a uh, small engine repair shop that he operated out of his big garage. He had a couple hobbies. You know, he would go bowling. He went bowling every Monday night, but he would always get his own lane to himself, just the way it was. But eventually, Bob started getting interested in uh, metal detecting. You know, you've seen those people out there with a the big headsets and their metal detector. I don't even know what all goes into that. 
And Bob just started to take an interest in that. You know, it seemed like something he could do on his own, by himself, in the solitary of his own world, and, you know, find perhaps some interesting stuff. He was kind of a history buff. So he ended up buying some uh, state-of-the-art metal-detecting equipment. And he would go out on the weekends. He would go to some of the usual places you would go to do that kind of stuff. He would go to local parks. Every so often, he might drive out for an entire weekend. He might go to the beach out on the East Coast and see what he could find. But after a few months, Bob just kind of got tired of going to the same old places, finding the same old stuff. And he knew about this uh, cornfield there in Kentucky that where he lived, this little small town. There's a cornfield right there on the western side of town just as you're exiting the town limits. And right in the corner of that cornfield, there was a bunch of like really old-looking oak trees. In the, in the middle of all of that, there was a chimney that was attached to a foundation of a house that must have burned down, you know, something like 100 years ago or so. So he just thought to himself, you know, that might be an interesting place to go and, and search. I might find something pretty cool. So that weekend, Bob loaded his Chevy pickup truck with all of his gear. And uh, he drove out there to the west end of town and found that cornfield and parked on the side of the road, got all of his gear, and he walked, he walked up to the uh, fence that was the perimeter of that property, a big fence line all around the cornfield. And right there on a big sign, written in big, bold letters, you couldn't miss it, it said, no trespassing. That's what it said. Well, Bob looked around, didn't see anybody looking. So he climbed over that fence and started walking out to those oak trees. And for about two or three hours, you know, he was searching around, seeing what he could find, you know, going around the foundation of the house and all of that. And, uh, you know, didn't find much. He found like maybe a couple old pennies, mostly a bunch of old nails. And he was just about to call it a day. But then he saw this one oak tree. It was a little bit further out. And it just kind of caught his eye. It looked like a really old oak tree. And he thought, you know what? I'm here. Let me just go. It's not going to take me much time. So he walked out there with his metal detector and started going around that oak tree. And I mean, just as soon as he came to the roots of that oak tree, his metal detector started going off. It started beeping like crazy. So he took out this spade that he kept in the back pocket of his jeans and he got on his hands and knees and he started digging into the earth with that spade. Got about three or four inches deep and he started hitting something solid. So he starts removing some of the, the dirt and he removes enough to be able to see. He could tell that it would look like maybe the lid to like an old wooden box of some sort. So he started digging around uh, the box, and he digged around enough, he dug around enough to see that on the side of it, there was this big old padlock. But the wood to this box, evidently this thing had been buried for so long, the wood was beginning to deteriorate. So it didn't take much for Bob to pry that lid open, and, and he did. He opened that lid, and you want to know what he found? Hold on to your hats. He found a bunch of old coins, like hundreds and hundreds of gold coins, each one of them stamped with the seal of the Confederate States of America going back to the Civil War. Evidently, somebody 
160 years ago must have buried that in the ground, hiding it from the approaching Union Army, and evidently they didn't make it or something. And so it's been buried there for 160 years. Nobody's known about it. Something happened. Whatever happened, happened. But Bob, the trespasser, stumbles upon this gold treasure. I mean, every one of these coins was worth thousands of dollars, and there were hundreds and hundreds of these coins. Bob couldn't have known at the time, but altogether, these coins, they were worth about several million dollars. Bob didn't know exactly, but he had a sense of how valuable it was, and he wasn't stupid. So he put the lid back on the box, and he covered it back up with dirt, put some leaves over it and some limbs. And then he took his gear and he climbed back over that fence with a plan. And when he got home, he started to do a little research and he found out who the owner of that particular property was. This is a guy named Mr. Jones. Uh, Mr. Jones, he owned a lot of farmland in that part of Kentucky. A lot of cornfields, some soybeans. Mostly he would plant corn. He owned a lot of it. And uh, so Bob was able to track Mr. Jones down and set an appointment and, and met with Mr. Jones. And he said, Mr. Jones, there's a cornfield out there on the west side of town. I'm interested in buying that piece of land from you. And Mr. Jones said, um, well, why would you be interested in purchasing that piece of land? Bob said, I don't know. Um, just think it might be a good investment. Well, Mr. Jones could kind of tell that uh, Bob didn't really seem to know much of what he was talking about. So he put a, like this ridiculous price on it. He said, you know, there's about 40 acres out there. You know, it's, it's about $8,000 an acre. So uh, he started doing the arithmetic and he said, you know what, you're, you're a local guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a good deal. He said, I'll, I'll offer you that land for, uh, let's just make it even $300,000. Well, it wasn't worth $300,000, far less than that. But Bob said, you got a deal. Uh, give me a few days and I'll come up with the money. Well, what Bob ended up doing is he went out and sold everything he had. He sold his house that he had been living in for 25 years, almost had it paid off, sold his house, sold his old uh, Chevy pickup truck, sold his business, his small engine repair shop. He sold his metal detecting equipment. He even sold his lucky bowling ball. He sold everything he had. The people of the town thought Bob was nuts. Like he's selling everything he has. It was like an estate sale or something, but he's not dead. He's still living. Like what is this guy doing? He's crazy. But Bob ended up scraping together that $300,000 with some of his savings and what he had raised by selling his possessions. And he brought that money to Mr. Jones and they finalized that sale. Well, all the people in the town ever knew was that not long after that, Bob moved away. Somebody got wind of him uh, retiring, and evidently he found a place out in Malibu. <laughs> Apparently had a nice place out there. Well, the kingdom of heaven is like that, Jesus says. That's how the kingdom of heaven is. Now, there's a couple things I want you to notice about this story. First of all, notice this is not a morality tale. There's no morality to be found in this story. It's, it's not like Bob went to Mr. Jones and said, Mr. Jones, 
Did you know that you have millions of dollars worth of coins buried in this field? He didn't say that. He said, oh, you just want 300,000? Give me some time. I mean, you could sum up the parable like this. A trespasser climbs a fence and wanders out into a property that is not his own. He has no right to be in that field. He's not supposed to be there. Stumbles upon a buried treasure, covers it up, doesn't tell anybody, keeps it a secret, sells everything he has so he can buy that field and so that he can acquire the treasure. So he's a somewhat lucky and unscrupulous trespasser. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. And we're just left scratching our heads saying, how's the kingdom of heaven like that? You see, if you try to make this story all about how to get your sins forgiven and go to heaven when you die, it's not going to work. That story does not fit that framework. I mean, for one thing, why does Jesus make the guy a trespasser? And then why does he cover it up and not tell anybody and keep it a secret? If this was all about a plan of salvation, how to get to heaven when you die, the guy would say, hey, everybody, look at what I found. Jump in. But he doesn't. He covers it up. He keeps it a secret. He doesn't tell anybody. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. And it just leaves us perplexed. So what do we do with this? I think the place to start is to begin with the question, why did Jesus come to earth in the first place? Why did Jesus come to this earth? That's the million-dollar question. And if your answer to that question is, Jesus came to the earth to die for our sins so that we can be forgiven and be with God for all of eternity, that is a true statement. It's correct. But it's incomplete. That is an incomplete answer. Let me explain what I mean. How many of you have ever been to a Dodgers game where somebody hits a walk-off home run in the ninth inning and the Dodgers win? How many of you have been in that stadium for that? Many of you have, okay? If you get home and someone asks you what happened in the game, how did the game go, and you just simply say, well, the Dodgers hit a home run in the ninth inning, and you just leave it at that, you're giving them a true statement that is correct, but it's incomplete. You're not giving them the full story. You're not giving them the big headline. The bigger headline is it was a walk-off home run, and because of that home run, the Dodgers won the game. That's the big story. Now, the fact that the home run was hit, if without that walk-off home run, they wouldn't have won the game. But to just leave it at that and say the Dodgers hit a home run in the ninth inning, that's not telling the full story. In the same way, for you and I to say Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins so we can be with God for all of eternity, that is a true statement, but it's part of a much larger story. The larger story is that the kingdom of God has come. That God's Son, the crucified, resurrected Son of God, has ascended to the Father's right hand where He is ruling and reigning heaven and earth right now. That's the big story. Without the cross, that big story doesn't happen. His cross is His coronation. That's his crowning moment. Without it, we have nothing. But by itself is not the big headline. The big headline is God's kingdom has now begun to, it is ushered in through the reign of God's son and it's growing and it's expanding. And one day when his son returns, 
which can happen at any moment, he's going to consummate that kingdom and completely fulfill it. And, and just like the prophets prophesied hundreds of years ago, the glory of God will cover the face of the earth. And everything will be made right. Everything that's not consistent with God's heart and God's vision for the world is going to be rectified. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be eradicated and everything will be perfected and eternalized exactly the way God would have it to be. God's vision is coming about through his son, Jesus Christ. And we're invited to participate in that work. That's the big story. So Jesus had a big message, man, that there's a new kingdom on the earth that's coming. And it's here, he said. It's a radically different kind of kingdom. See, Jesus did not come to tweak and improve the existing kingdoms of the world and make it a more moral place. Jesus came to usher in a whole new order of things, a whole new era, a whole new kind of kingdom called the kingdom of God. But you see, to talk like this openly in first century Israel within the Roman Empire, that's a very dangerous, risky subversive way of talking you don't just go around talking about kings and kingdoms if you're not talking about caesar and rome because there's going to be some people very interested to hear what you have to say so they can put a stop to it this is why jesus taught in parables he taught in parables so that he could say what he wanted to say but kind of cloak it a little bit so it would cause people to wonder and reflect and connect the dots on their own you could say it like this. Jesus taught in parables for the same reason that Bob the trespasser hid his treasure and didn't tell anybody. Why did Bob the trespasser hide the treasure? Because he knew if people found out what he was up to, there would be trouble. Why did Jesus teach in parables? Because he knew if certain people found out what he was up to too soon, they would have put a stop to it. That's eventually what Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas and Herod conspired to do. They, they did their best to put a stop to Jesus, and they thought they had. But of course, they did not. Now, if you're struggling with this this morning, I'll say two things. First of all, it's not my fault. It's not my story. It's Jesus' story. And it's, also, it's almost utterly incomprehensible, except it isn't. You know, I've used this before, but it's kind of like one of those magic eye posters from back in the 90s. You guys remember that? Those magic eye posters, these big like designs, they would have all these colors and shapes and lines and all of this stuff. It looked like an abstract painting or something, a Jackson Pollock painting or something. And, and so you see what's on the surface, but, but you know going into it, there's a hidden image somewhere that's going to pop off the page. If you look deeply enough, if you look long enough, if you're patient, there's going to be like a, like a circus elephant or something that pops off the page. But it's not on the surface. You've got to look deeply. And sometimes, you know, you, you, you're trying to show somebody here, look at this, but you're going to see something else eventually if you look long enough. And I mean, you'll see it. And they get frustrated, like, I can't see it. I don't see it. I don't. And then it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Now I see it. You know, it, almost, it always helped me to kind of cross my eyes a little bit. Just, you know, I was like, oh, there it is. There it is. It was there all along. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And, and I think one of the things I can help you with, perhaps I can help you by sharing a little bit of my own story. I think if I share a little bit of my own story, it might help you to see a little bit more what Jesus is doing here. Something like 12 or 15 years ago, I started wandering around in fields that were not my own. 
I became a trespasser. My fields had always been Pentecostal charismatic fields. That's how I was raised. That was my allotted plot. Those were my boundaries and borders. And that's how I began my vocational ministry for 17 years. I was a Pentecostal charismatic pastor. And I treasure my Pentecostal heritage. And it still forms who I am today. But about 12 or 15 years ago, and particularly as I began pastoring, I started getting restless. I started getting a little disenchanted with some of the shallow sensationalism that was hovering around some of my close friends and associates. It just struck me as shallow and a distraction from what Jesus is teaching us to do. And that's not an indictment on Pentecostalism. That was just my own little corner of that world. It just, it seemed to me, no, this is not what Jesus has called me to do. So I started getting curious. And eventually my curiosity got the best of me and I started hopping some fences. I started wandering around in some fields that I had never ventured out into before, metal detector in hand. I started wandering around ancient fields, patristic fields, that, that is the fields of the church fathers and church mothers. I started wandering around Anglican fields, Lutheran fields, Orthodox fields, the fields of the Catholic mystics and others. Now, these were fields I had always been cautioned. Oh, no, you don't step out there. Stay in your own field, Ryan. We got everything we need here. But I was just too curious and too restless. I was a, I was a breaker of conventions. So I started wandering around these fields that were unfamiliar to me. They were not my own. I'm going to tell you, though, I started finding some treasures. I started finding some really rich, valuable treasures in those fields that I did not expect to find. And uh, treasures I didn't know were there, but I began to see that they were part of the true kingdom of God and the full historic 2,000-year-old church called Christianity. I started, to, I started to learn that, you know what, church history didn't begin with Azusa Street. This thing's been going on for 2,000 years all over the world in a wide variety of streams and traditions that all carry within them something of the beauty and glory of God reflected and refracted within. And my eyes were open to see that. And I was enraptured. I was mesmerized. And I couldn't get enough. I couldn't pull that gold out of the ground fast enough. But you know what I did? I covered it up. You say, Ryan, you covered it up? Yeah, I covered it up. Well, why did you cover it up? Think about it. I was an Assemblies of God pastor. I couldn't just share openly with anyone about these treasures I was finding in these other fields, particularly when I talked about where I was finding these treasures. Because there would have been people who would have tried to stop me. And they would have condemned me as a trespasser. Ryan, stay in your own field. Everything you need is right here. But they were wrong. They were totally wrong. So what I did is I started selling off some of my old possessions. 
so that I could make these new fields my own. I sold off my cheap, consumeristic, church growth way of pastoring and leading. I sold off my arrogant certitude, my Bible answer man mentality. Anybody got a question? I'll give you the biblical answer. Here's the Bible answer. Because I see clearly and I know all. I sold that off. Got rid of it. I sold off my us versus them hostility and tribalism. I sold off my flawed eschatology in in times theology. I sold off my politically charged preaching, my politically charged preaching that had been formed in partisan politics. I sold off all of that. You see, these are things that once upon a time had been very near and dear to me and valuable to me, especially in my early 20s. But I sold it all. In fact, I did it joyfully so that I could buy these fields where I had found and hidden my secret treasures of the kingdom of God. So don't tell anybody. (laughs) That's about the best I can do. That's about the best I can do to kind of nudge you in a direction where perhaps you can see a little bit more of what Jesus is doing here. I'll say this much more. Um, the parable of the hidden treasure perfectly, perfectly uh, is in sync with my own experience with the kingdom of God. I mean, if you want to talk about getting saved and finding forgiveness for your sins, this parable doesn't much apply to that. Like, all of that happened to me when I was 13. I was raised in church, you know, had some kind of relationship with Jesus, but it was about when I was 13 years old, that's when I really encountered Jesus for the first time. I was at a tri-church youth rally in DeZalman's, Louisiana. And I'll never forget, it was a Friday night, and I came forward, I answered an invitation, I, I knelt down, I just wept my eyes out. That was the night I truly encountered Jesus for the first time, and I pledged to give my life to Jesus, and I also sensed and responded to a call to give my life to preaching. And that's something I never turned back from, from that night forward, that was... That was a moment I'll never forget. But you have to understand, that's not the end of something. That was the beginning of something. That was the beginning of a lifelong journey. It would be another 20 years before I would begin to actually see and perceive the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean I wasn't in Christ that whole time. Of course I was. But it it took 20 years for me to begin to have a much sharper understanding of what God is up to in the world and his invitation to me to participate in that. But now, man, when I read this parable today, not in light of how to get saved, but how to enter into and engage and participate in the captivating kingdom of God, now I hear this parable, now I read this parable, and I just start nodding my head. And I'm like, I know that guy. I know the guy in that parable because that guy is me. That's my story. I'm that lucky trespasser who started hopping fences, wandering around in fields that didn't belong to me, striking gold, afraid to tell anybody about it, covered it up, went back and sold everything I had so that I could make it my own. That's my story. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that, and I'm like, totally. It's totally like that. Now, if you're still having a hard time with this, just relax. 
Just relax. If it, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I have no clue what this guy's talking about. It's okay. Just relax. Don't try to figure it out too soon. Just take this parable home with you. Reflect on it. Pray through it. Lord, open my eyes. Lord, open my ears. I want to see whatever you want me to see. Be begin to go to work in me, God. Maybe go back and listen to this sermon again this week. Let the parable go to work on you. But here's a hint. If you've been lucky enough to stumble upon the kingdom of God, you will have to sell some valuables to obtain it. If you're lucky enough to see something of the kingdom of God, there are going to be some things that maybe you have once held dear. Things that have been valuable to you. Ways of looking at things. Ways of looking at God. Ways of looking at life. Ways of looking at society, nation, all kinds of stuff that you're going to have to be willing to let go of. But don't worry about it because you're going to do it gladly. You'll do it with joy in your heart. It's not going to be a hard thing for you to do. It will come easy to you. Think about it. The whole town thought Bob the trespasser was crazy for selling off all of his old possessions. This guy's selling his house, selling his car, selling his business, selling his bowling ball, selling his metal detector. He sold everything he had. They thought he was crazy. But folks, it's not crazy to raise $300,000 to buy a field that's got $10 million buried in it. So when I'm telling you that you're going to have to sell off some of your old ways of thinking in order to see the kingdom of God, you don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. It'll be easy. You won't be able to get rid of it fast enough. But if you feel like you're having to give up too much for the, this kingdom of heaven stuff, if you're saying, man, this is just challenging. It's so hard. I, I can't get rid of these things. I don't want to. I want to hold on to these ideas. I want to hold on to these views. I've been thinking this way my whole life. I don't want to let go. I just want to hold on. Just relax. Just relax. What's happened is you haven't seen the kingdom yet. I'm not saying you're not in Christ. I'm saying you just haven't yet seen the kingdom because when you see it and you pry open that lid and you look inside and you say, dear Lord in heaven, that is gold. It ain't going to be any problem getting rid of that old Chevy pickup. But until you've seen the gold, it will be a problem. So if it's a problem for you, just hold on to what you have, but hold on to it loosely. And begin to pray some daring prayers. God, open my eyes. Open my ears. I'm not sure I've seen it yet. So help me. I give you permission to do some heart surgery. And expand my imagination. Because I sure do want to be a part of what you're doing. And when you begin to see the kingdom for what it is, it's going to be easy to part with those ologies and isms that you once held so precious. Why? Because you've seen something else. But I've got to needle you just a little bit. Just a little bit. If you've never given up something you once held dear, and I'm talking mainly about ideas, perspectives, views. You know, if you'd say, you know what, the way I look at everything is pretty much exactly the way I've always seen it for 20, 30 years, and I've never seen it any differently. I've never had to change my viewpoints on these things. 
it's probably because you have not yet seen the kingdom. Doesn't mean you're not in Christ. But it probably means you haven't yet seen the kingdom of God because that's the impact it's going to have on you. And all I can say is be willing to see. Be willing to change. Be patient. It takes time. It's probably going to necessarily need to dawn on you gradually. But just be open and know that when you've seen it, you will sell off things that you once held precious, but it won't be hard to do at all. It'll be easy. One last thought. If you're unwilling to seek for truth beyond your own familiar fields, what do I mean by that? If I'm the person who says, well, I'm just going to keep listening to the same old preachers and reading the same old books, and I don't want to receive from anybody who sees anything differently from me. I just want to hear and listen to people who agree with me on every conceivable issue. Well, guess what? You're not going to grow. You're not going to see anything new. And you probably won't find the kingdom of God. You'll find a plan of salvation. But you won't find the kingdom of God. Because if you want to find the kingdom of God, you've got to start hopping some fences. You're probably going to have to start wandering around in some new fields. Fields that you don't feel comfortable in. Fields, fields that you may feel a little bit awkward in. But that's called being a seeker. All right. I think that's enough to leave with you and mess with your mind this week. The lucky trespasser, amen. Uh, stand with me this morning. I'm going to invite our communion servers to come. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.